Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. So often, we find ourselves caught in the spin cycle of temptation and sin. We know better, we want better for ourselves, for our families, for God, but time and time again, we bend and we break in the stiff winds of temptation. And I think that I can help you break the cycle tonight. And we start by understanding three important things about temptation. First, temptation seeks to use good creation in distorted ways. Temptation always starts by twisting something that is part of God's good creation into something for which it wasn't intended. One sign of maturity then in the Christian faith is the realization that things aren't bad. But the way that we use those things can be. Medicine is good. But people who abuse over-the-counter drugs and prescription pills are using them in distorted ways. And the same thing is true about sex. It's part of God's good design for human beings from the beginning. It has a proper place in creation as the highest expression of unashamed intimacy between a man and a woman who have made the covenant of marriage to one another. Sexual intimacy is good, but it's distorted by sexual immorality. So temptation seeks to take the good creation and use it in distorted ways. The second thing about temptation is that it appeals to the flesh. If you've read any of Paul's letters in the New Testament, then you'll know that he draws a distinction between the flesh and the spirit. And this is especially clear in his letters to the Galatians and to Rome. So in Romans 8, 6, for instance, Paul says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now, the flesh doesn't refer to your skin, right? As if all temptation would stop if you could just shed your body. It refers to the identity and ways of life that were formed by allowing our thoughts and actions to be molded into and by the shape of the present world. And the Spirit, on the other hand, calls us to be renewed to move in a different direction from death to life, from the old identity to the new identity, from the shape of the present world to the shape of the world to come. And that's why a little later in Romans, Paul writes, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Temptation appeals to the flesh to take something that is good 
and use it in ways that it was never intended to be used. And the flesh is quite happy to act on temptation's appeals. But the Spirit pushes back, reminding us that we are most truly human and most fully alive when we are using our God-given bodies, God-given minds, and God-given emotions in the way they were intended to be used. Namely, to reflect the goodness of God into the world. So the third thing about temptation is that temptation goes wherever we go. And this is important because I often hear people talk about how they could be so much closer to God if they retreated to a village in the woods where they could live separated from all the bad things and bad influences and bad people of the world. And that kind of life, it might avoid the problem, but you can never escape it. So in 2004, M. Night Shyamalan directed a movie called The Village. And the movie shows a group of people who, because of their experiences with the crime and pain and lies in the city, they banded together and retreated into the woods. And they tried to create a life without crime, without lies, without pain. They devised elaborate strategies to try to keep everything evil away. And by the end of the movie, the crime, the pain, and the lies were right there with them in the village. Temptation goes wherever we go because, as James chapter 1 says, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So whether we live in Las Vegas or in the woods, temptation is right there with us because it's tied to what's inside of us, not what's outside of us. And so temptation starts with something good, and it appeals to the flesh to take that good thing and distort it by using it in ways it was never intended to be used. And you can never fully escape temptation because it goes wherever you go. It's bad news, huh? Even though you can't escape temptation, I believe that you can begin to overcome it. And so tonight I want to offer a short-term strategy and a long-term strategy for breaking the cycle of temptation and sin. The short-term plan that I'm going to tell you about is for the moments of weakness. Whenever they arise, that's when you apply it. And the long-term plan should be applied consistently so that those moments of weakness actually begin to happen in your life less and less. Now, the short-term plan is called the resistance plan. The resistance plan. And here's how it works. First, create space. Temptation thrives on momentum. One thing leads to another, which leads to another. You don't just end up cheating on tests. You don't just end up in a hotel room with a co-worker. You don't just end up abusing drugs. 
Those things happen as the end result of a series of choices that built up one on top of another until you arrived at that point. When it goes unchecked, temptation rolls along, gaining enough momentum to take you farther than you ever thought you would go. But you can stop the momentum by creating space between you and the temptation. And that might mean breaking away from certain people or places for a while. But that's okay. Because if you don't stop and create the necessary space, then you will never, never break the cycle of temptation and sin. Second, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Scripture insists that something decisive and definite has taken place when you put your faith in Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 5 says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You're not who you once were. No matter how hard the flesh tries to bite down on the bait of temptation, you are now a child of God. Baptized with the Holy Spirit, empowered for good works, and loved, loved to the uttermost. That's who you are. That's who you are. And it helps to remember that, especially when you're tempted to act as if it were not true. Third, denounce the pleasure that temptation is promising. Denounce the pleasure that temptation is promising. Now, temptation's power is in the pleasure that it's promising. If it didn't promise pleasure, then it wouldn't be a temptation. But the pleasure that is being promised to you is deceptive and fleeting. When you give in, you might feel a brief buzz of satisfaction, but when it wears off, and it always wears off, you feel like less of a person. It's like you sat down and you thought you were going to eat a brownie, but you end up eating dirt. C.S. Lewis diagnosed our condition like this. He said, We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and idle pursuits when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so in that moment of temptation, this is what you preach to yourself. It promises more than it can deliver. The pleasure, if it gives any, it's short-lived. Pursue instead the lasting joy and lasting pleasure that only God can give. Hold out and hold on for something better.
The fourth step in the resistance plan is to look backward with gratitude and forward with faith. This is in the moment. This is in the moment. You're sitting there and you remember. You look back. You say, God has been merciful to us. If you want to personalize it, God has been merciful to me, to my family. He's been good. His grace has been sufficient for all things. His love has never failed. His promises have not been broken. When you start thinking like that, it helps you to look back with gratitude on all the past work of God in our lives. And then we let that goodness propel us forward with faith that God will again help us in our time of need, which is that very moment of weakness and temptation. It's like Paul told us, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So in each moment of our lives, God longs for us to experience the good gifts of His presence and His love. He desires to enrich your life in ways that sin and rebellion never can, even though they promise they can. So that not to follow Jesus in this moment is to miss out on a piece of the lasting joy that God wants for you to experience here and now. Like I said, you should apply this short-term strategy whenever you find yourself facing that moment of weakness. But we don't stop there. We don't stop there. We have to go deeper than that. We have to embark on a journey of transformation that brings our wants and desires into conformity with God's wants and desires. And this is what the call to Christ-likeness is all about in the New Testament. And I would venture to say it's the whole point of our salvation. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son. Why did He choose them? To become like His Son. And that's God's aim. And so we, the people of God, should not settle for anything less. So that's what the long-term plan, what I call the renovation plan, is all about. Transformation is not something that just happens. So this plan has three parts. First part is vision. For transformation, the renovation of the heart to happen, we have to see that the life that is offered to us through Jesus Christ is a renewal of the way that things were always meant to be. It's life the way that life is meant to be lived. In the original creation act, 
God positioned human beings as His image bearers. We're situated in the world to reflect God's goodness and God's wisdom into all of creation. And so to live in a way, or to live in that way, is what it means to live as a truly human being, positioned under God and yet over the animals, stewards of creation, stewards of the image of God. Humans, however, you might recall, rebelled against God and against this God-given task, but the task didn't go away. So through the early covenant with Israel and the new covenant through Jesus, God has dealt with human rebellion. He has defeated the vice grip of sin and reinstated human beings to fulfill their original role. The message throughout the New Testament is that the world's end-time renovation project has already been launched through the work of Jesus. It's already started. When God raised Jesus from the dead, He launched His project of new creation. And He is now calling all people everywhere to join in. That's the point of the Great Commission. All people Everywhere. The door has been flung open. Come and join. When you have a big vision like that, that big vision insists that your life is bigger than the isolated fragments of temptation and grace and popularity and work and school and church and family and weekends and weekdays and holidays and birthdays. What God does when you have a big vision like this is that He gathers up all of those loose threads and He weaves them into the fabric of His larger purposes for all of creation. And so they're no longer just random loose thread fragments that happen to exist in our lives. All of life then, all aspects of life are charged and filled with meaning and significance. That's what a big vision does for you. Now, the second part of the renovation plan is intention. The grand vision that gives meaning to all aspects of our lives is also the basis for the intention, the settled desire to act in accordance with that vision. This isn't wishful thinking, right? Wishing gives the appearance of desire. You know people who wish. It gives the appearance of desire, but what it lacks is the concrete, daily realism that believes this can happen and that, it be- and that believes it must happen. That's not a wish. That's intention. Paul exemplifies intention when he says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. That's intention. He says, in effect, I've got my eye on the goal. That's vision. And I'm not turning back. That's intention. 
It's marked by a firm decision to believe and behave in certain ways. Now, if you, this is where it gets interesting. As I interact with people and hear struggles. If you have the genuine intention to live in accordance with the vision that is offered in the Bible, in most cases you will. If, however, you don't have the genuine intention to do it, then you won't. Intention makes all the difference. Now, if you picture a campfire, all right, if transformation is a campfire, vision is the wood, right? So put your wood down. Intention is the lighter fluid. But you still need one more thing to generate a flame. And so the third part of the renovation plan is action. Action is the lighter that sparks the flame of transformation. Without action, you don't have a fire. You just have wet wood. And here's the catch. Again, your actions will be proportionate to the size of your vision and the strength of your intention. Your actions will be proportionate to the size of your vision and the strength of your intention. If your vision is grand and your intention is firm, then your actions will testify to a grand vision and a firm intention. If your vision is small and your intention is weak, then your actions will testify to a small vision and a weak intention. Your actions make it obvious. My actions make it obvious. Thinking about it, reading about it, talking about it, while all good things, they do not renovate the heart. They function like maps. Maps help you see the lay of the land. But the purpose of a map is to help you move in the right direction. That's what thinking about it, reading about it, and talking about it do. They help you see the lay of the land and possibly move in the right direction. But you know this, to arrive at the place that you want to be, at some point, you have to turn yourself in that direction and start putting one foot in front of the other. Renovation cannot happen any other way. Vision, intention, and finally, action. Now, there is one more piece of advice that I have. And this is crucial because what this piece of advice does is it holds these two plans together. The resistance plan and the renovation plan are held together by this. Continue with confidence in the love of God. Continue with confidence in the love of God. No matter what, move forward knowing that God's love has not failed and will not fail. 
His love can be grieved, but it will never finally leave. And it's that love, I believe, that in the end is our strongest weapon against temptation. Because knowing that we are loved deeply, truly, and fully keeps us from turning in other directions to try to satisfy our need to be loved. We're already loved. And in the end, knowing that we are loved and to live as a gracious and faithful response to that love is how the cycle of temptation and sin can finally be broken in our lives. God, I pray for each person here, including myself. The temptations that cry out for our attention and affection have held us down and held us back for too long. Tonight, we say no more. No more. We will not be held captive to the cravings of the flesh or the lusts of our eyes or the pride of life. With confidence in your love for us, we will move forward. Help us apply what we've heard from you tonight that we might reflect your goodness and glory to the people around us. For all this, we give you praise, honor, and glory. Amen.